Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 261. Today's big Bible questions are, what should Christians smell like, and how does God love his people? Happy Lord's Day's friends, as is my habit, please allow me to invite you to join us this Sunday, today, at 11 a.m. Pacific on Facebook at the VBC Salinas page. That's VBC, Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas, S-A-L-I-N-A-S. You can search for that on Facebook and you will find live broadcasts frequently on that page uh, from me and some of our church members and friends. And uh, it'd be great if you like the page. That way you'll get a notification when we go live. We'll have a time of worship this Sunday, and we're going to hear God's Word discussing how the resurrection of Jesus, talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, leads to the deliverance and comfort of God spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Sadly, due to horrible air quality in our city and an order only allowing us to meet outside, our church will be gathering online only this Sunday, and you're most welcome to join us. Today, we are reading quite a few chapters. 2 Samuel 8 and 9, Psalms 58 and 59, Ezekiel 16, and 2 Corinthians 2. I'd like first to focus today on 2 Corinthians 2, but before we do that, we need to focus on one of the most remarkable and, I don't know, gutting passages in the entire Bible, the love song of God to his people in Ezekiel 16. Now, I suspect most Christians haven't read Ezekiel 16, at least not in quite a while, It's an incredibly long chapter, for one, like the seventh longest chapter in the entire Bible, and it is really intense. I mean, literally, it might be the most intense chapter in the entire Bible. This is basically a 60-verse declaration of God's love for his people Israel and his response to her repeated acts of spiritual adultery. Now imagine being married to a spouse that you wholeheartedly love and yet he or she is absolutely unfaithful to you with pretty much anybody that comes by. Most would abandon ship quickly in that situation and move on, but this is not what God does. He persists in love and yet his punishment is honestly rather terrifying. Ezekiel 16 is just absolutely unsettling in so many ways to read the intensity of God's love and his passion at being jilted by his people. Now, it's a very, very metaphorical passage and very poetic, and I'm going to read the first part now, the declaration of love of God, and then we will read the latter part, the most gutting part, after our discussion of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So prepare yourself for both of those. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1 through verse 14 The word of the Lord came to me again. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices. You are to say, this is what the Lord God says to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Ammonite and your mother a Hethite. As for your birth, your umbilical cord wasn't cut on the day you were born and you weren't washed clean with water. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one cared enough about you to do even one of these things out of compassion for you. But you were thrown out into an open field because you were despised on the day you were born. I passed by you and saw you thrashing around in your blood, and I said to you as you lay in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you as you say, lay in your blood, live. 
I made you thrive like the plants of the field. You grew up and matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were stark naked. Then I passed by you and saw you, and you were indeed at the age for love. So I spread the edge of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you, entered into a covenant with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And you became mine. I washed you with water, rinsed off your blood, and anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and provided you with fine leather sandals. I also wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with jewelry, putting bracelets on your wrist and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring in your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was made of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. You became extremely beautiful and attained royalty. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And shortly we will read the rest of this chapter. Most people would not think or speak about God's love in this manner. But I find it very interesting that this is how God himself speaks of his love. There's absolutely no doubt of his passion. In this passage, the whole thing gives us a very new understanding, I think, of the deep and fiery feelings of God for his people. Just wow. Well, today's focus question is intentionally a bit on the cheeky side, but we are indeed going to talk about what Christians should smell like. And the answer, of course, is Christ, metaphorically speaking anyway. So let's go now and read 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and discuss. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Paul says, in fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit, for if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive him and comfort him, otherwise he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we might not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. So I like what C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite Christian authors, has to say about this passage. 
He says, thus in Galatians 4.19, Christ is to be formed inside each, each believer. The verb here used is meaning to shape, to figure, or even to draw a sketch. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Christians are told to imitate Paul in the Lord. And elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, to imitate Paul as he in turn imitates Christ, thus giving us another stage of progressive imitation. Changing the metaphor, we find that believers are to acquire the fragrance of Christ in 2 Corinthians 2.16, that the glory of God has appeared in the face of Christ as at the creation light appeared in the universe. And finally, if my reading of a much disputed passage is correct, that a Christian is to Christ as a mirror to an object, which is from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And I'll close our discussion with uh, some great thoughts from John Piper reflecting on this passage. And Piper says, So Paul pictures his ministry, missionary life and ministry as spreading a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And the reason I say it is a picture of a sacrifice being offered to God is that in verse 15, he says that the aroma is first to God. It is like incense being offered to God, for we are the aroma of Christ to God, not first to the world, but to God. Ephesians 5.2, says Piper, gives the best explanation of this picture. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when Christ died for sinners, it was like a fragrant offering that was very pleasing to God. Now here Paul is standing in the place of Christ as a missionary and suffering like Christ in the service of his conquering Lord. And he says, we are the aroma of Christ to God. In other words, when we suffer as missionaries in the service of Christ, it's like Christ suffering for the lost. And God smells this fragrance of sacrificial love and it pleases him. That's the picture so far. But then comes the heart rejoicing and heart breaking parts of missionary service. This aroma of the love of Christ in the sacrificial service of the missionary may please God, but it doesn't please everybody. This aroma divides the world. Look at this division in verses 15 and 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. In other words, some people smell the sacrificial love of Christ in the life of a missionary, and it only smells like death. They hear the gospel, and all they hear is death. They look at the cross, and all they see is death. They see no life, no hope, no future, no joy, and so they turn away, and if they turn away forever, they die. They are the perishing. The smell of death leads to death. That's the heartbreaking side of missions. They are people who don't believe. They don't see Christ as precious. They don't see his suffering as a treasure. They don't smell his death for sinners as the sweetest fragrance in the universe. It is not a satisfying fragrance. It's simply the smell of death. But there is also the heart rejoicing side of missions. In verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Those who are being saved smell the death of Christ as the aroma of life. They see in his death the substitute that they so desperately need before God. The Son of God dying in their place is the fragrance of life. So they don't turn away. They believe him and receive him and embrace him and treasure him and they live forever. Smelling Christ as the aroma of life gives life. Those are Paul's two pictures of his life as a missionary. Number one, God conquered him when he was his enemy. He is now leading Paul both in triumph and in suffering. There is reason to exult in this procession, and there is reason to groan in this procession. Paul's calling is to show the sufferings of Christ to the world in his own suffering. 
The other picture is of Christ as a sweet-smelling sacrifice or incense to God and Paul sharing in Christ's mission and suffering so that he becomes this very fragrance in the world, which some smell as life and live, but others smell as death and die. Now Paul asks at the end of verse 16, Who is sufficient for these things? Who can bear the weight of knowing that the aroma of your Christ-exalting life will lead some to eternal life and others to eternal death? It's as serious as if you walk down to the mall at the lunch hour and some would smile and come in behind you and be saved and everyone else would drop dead. Who could bear such a thing? That's what Paul asks. In one sense, the answer is no one, but that's not Paul's main point. He said in 2 Corinthians 1.12 and Romans 1.5 that he carries out this very ministry by the grace of God. He is not sufficient. You and I are not sufficient in ourselves. No missionary feels sufficient But 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Our sufficiency is from God. So the utterly crucial question for many of you as you've prayed and thought about giving your life or a substantial part of it to missions is, Can I do this? Can I bear this weight of being the aroma of Christ in some new place? By God's grace, you can. And amen. By God's grace and power, you indeed can. Let us continue reading 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. After this, David defeated the Philistines, subdued them, and took Metheg Amah from Philistine control. He also defeated the Moabites, and after making them lie on the ground, he measured them off with a cord. He measured every two cord lengths of those to be put to death and one full length of those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's subjects and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadaditzer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when he went to restore his control at the Euphrates River. David captured 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers from him, and he hamstrung all the horses and kept a hundred chariots. When the Arameans of Damascus came to assist King Hadaditzer of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 Aramean men. Then he placed garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Arameans became David's subjects and brought it tribute. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David took the gold shields of Hadaditzer's officers and brought them to Jerusalem. King David also took huge quantities of bronze from Betah and Baratai, Hadaditzer's cities. When King Toy of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadaditzer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and to congratulate him because David had fought against Hadaditzer and defeated him for Toy and Hadaditzer had fought many wars. Joram had items of silver, gold, and bronze with him. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had dedicated from all the nations he had subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and the spoil of Hadaditzer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. David made a reputation for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in Salt Valley. He placed garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites were subject to David. The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, administering justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahulad, was court historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Sariah was court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief officials. Chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. 
They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, Where is he? Ziba answered the king, You'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning with verse 14, remembering that this is God speaking to his people. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor which I had bestowed on you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and acted like a prostitute because of your fame. You lavished your sexual favors on everyone who passed by. Your beauty became his. You took some of your clothing and made colorful high places for yourself, and you engaged in prostitution on them. These places should not have been built, and this should never have happened. You also took your beautiful jewelry made from the gold and silver I had given you, and you made male images so that you could engage in prostitution with them. Then you took your embroidered clothing to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. The food that I gave you, the fine flour oil and honey that I fed you, you set it before them as a pleasing aroma. This is what happened. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You even took your sons and daughters you bore to me and sacrificed them to these images as food. Wasn't your prostitution enough? You slaughtered my children and gave them up when you passed them through the fire to the images. In all your detestable practices and acts of prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were stark naked and thrashing around in your blood. Then, after all your evil, woe, woe to you, the declaration of the Lord God, you built yourself a mound and made yourself an elevated place in every square. You built your elevated place at the head of every street and turned your beauty into a detestable thing. You spread your legs to everyone who passed by and increased your prostitution. You engaged in promiscuous acts with Egyptian men, your well-endowed neighbors, and increased your prostitution to anger me. Therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and reduced your provisions. I gave you over to the desires of those who hate you, the Philistine women who were embarrassed by your indecent conduct. Then you engaged in prostitution with the Assyrian men because you were not satisfied. Even though you did this with them, you were still not satisfied. So you extended your prostitution to Chaldea, the land of merchants, but you were not even satisfied with this. 
how your heart was inflamed with lust, the declaration of the Lord God, when you did all these things, the acts of a brazen prostitute, building your mound at the head of every street and making your elevated place in every square. But you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned payment. You adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave gifts to all your lovers. You bribed them to come to you from all around for your sexual favors. So you were the opposite of other women in your acts of prostitution. No one solicited you. When you paid a fee instead of one being paid to you, you were the opposite. Therefore, you prostitute hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness exposed by your acts of prostitution with your lovers, and because of all your detestable idols and the blood of your children that you gave to them, I am therefore going to gather all the lovers you pleased, all those who loved you as well as those you hated. I will gather gather them against you from all around and expose your nakedness to them so that they see you completely naked. I will judge you the way adulteresses and those who shed blood are adjudged. Then I will bring about the shedding of your blood and jealous wrath. I will hand you over to them, and they will demolish your mounds and tear down your elevated places. They will strip off your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you stark naked. They will bring a mob against you to stone you and to cut you to pieces with their sword. They will burn your houses and execute judgments against you in the sight of many women. I will stop you from being a prostitute, and you will never again pay fees for lovers. So I will satisfy my wrath against you, and my jealousy will turn away from you. Then I will be calm and no longer angry, because you did not remember the days of your youth, but enraged me with all these things. I will also bring your conduct down on your head. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Haven't you committed depravity in addition to all your detestable practices? Look, everyone who uses Proverbs will quote this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who despised her husband and children. You are the sister of your sisters who despised their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hethite and your father an Amorite. Your older sister was Samaria who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister was Sodom who lived with her daughters to the south of you. Didn't you walk in their ways and do their detestable practices? It was only a short time before all your ways were more corrupt than theirs. As I live, the declaration of the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not behaved as you and your daughters have. Now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable acts before me, so I removed them when I saw this. But Samaria did not commit even half your sins. You have multiplied your detestable practices beyond theirs and made your sisters appear righteous by all the detestable acts you have committed. You must also bear your disgrace since you have helped your sisters out, for they appear more righteous than you because of your sins which you committed more detestably than they did. So you also be ashamed and bear your disgrace since you have made your sisters appear righteous. I will restore their fortunes, the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters and those of Samaria and her daughters. I will also restore your fortunes among them so you will bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all you did when you comforted them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters and Samaria and her daughters will return to their former state. You and your daughters will also return to your former state. Didn't you treat your sister Sodom as an object of scorn when you were proud before your wickedness was exposed? It was like the time you were scorned by the daughters of Aram and all those around her and by the daughters of the Philistines, those who treated you with contempt from every side. 
You yourself must bear the consequences of your depravity and detestable practices. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord God says, I will deal with you according to what you have done, since you have despised the oath by breaking the covenant. But I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish a permanent covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and younger sisters. I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord, so that when I make atonement for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Wow. It is worth a reminder that basically all of Ezekiel 16 there is metaphorical. Um, Although I'm sure there was literal prostitution that happened at, from time to time in Israel, that is a passage about spiritual prostitution. And it's very poetical and very metaphorical. And as I said, very um, gutting and disturbing and challenging. Psalm chapter 58, verse 1. Do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? Do you judge people fairly? No, you practice injustice in your hearts. With your hands, you weigh out violence in the land. The wicked go astray from the womb. Liars wander about from birth. They have venom like the venom of a snake, like the deaf cobra that stops up its ears, that does not listen to the sound of the charmers who skillfully weave spells. God, knock the teeth out of their mouths. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. May they vanish like water that flows by. May they aim their blunted arrows like a slug that moves along in slime. Like a woman's miscarried child, may they not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or burning, he will sweep them away. The righteous one will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges on the earth. Psalm 59, verse 1. Rescue me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Rescue me from evildoers and save me from men of bloodshed. Because look, Lord, they set an ambush for me. Powerful men attack me, but not because of any sin or rebellion of mine. For no fault of mine, they run and take up a position. Awake to help me and take notice. Lord God of armies, you are the God of Israel. Rise up to punish all the nations. Do not show favor to any wicked traitors, Selah. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. Look, they spew from their mouths, sharp words from their lips. For who, they say, will hear? But you laugh at them, Lord. You ridicule all the nations. I will keep watch for you, my strength, because God is my stronghold. My faithful God will come to meet me. God will not, God will let me look down on my adversaries. Do not kill them, otherwise my people will forget. By your power, make them homeless wanderers and bring them down, Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. They utter curses and lies. Consume them in fury. Consume them until they are gone. Then people will know throughout the earth that God rules over Jacob. Selah. And they return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. They scavenge for food. They growl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength and will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises, because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. Amen. God is our stronghold, our faithful God. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.